Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I am your host, Justin Belanger. Thank you very much for tuning in. Let's thank the sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Eagle Energy. Eagle Energy is a plant-based caffeine inhaler which provides an effective and fast-acting energy boost. Rather than these high-caffeine, high-sugary drinks that take up to 30, sometimes 45 minutes to kick in, Eagle Energy only takes 3 to 5 minutes to take effect rather than, like I said, these high sugar energy drinks. Head on over to eagle.energy today, check out their store, and make sure that you pick up your Eagle Energy today. I use it first thing in the morning when I want to get a quick start to my day. It allows me to stay focused on the task at hand, and more importantly, it allows me to finish the task at hand. Remember, head on over to eagle.energy and pick up your Eagle Energy today. You won't regret it. Yes, sir. We're back. Welcome to the High Button Podcast. I know I already said that in the intro during the ad, but I like to say it again. I do truly appreciate the fact that you tuned in here to the High Button. My name is Justin Belanger. We have a great episode ahead for you. Uh, before I introduce the guest, well, I guess you already know the guest because you saw it in the in the title already. Um, but yeah, it's been a busy couple of months here. We're just trying to line everything up so we have an amazing summer. We had a great time in Boston. We're going to Wentworth tomorrow. Wentworth? Wentworth tomorrow. Uh, just tons of exciting news that's going to be announced, you know, as the weeks go by, the months go by, whatever it is. So we appreciate you, the fans, all the support. Like I say, this, this thing called the high button goes absolutely nowhere without you, the fans. So we try to keep you guys, uh, included as much as we can. So I guess what's, that's what that little ramble was about here. So today's episode, very excited about this guest. He's actually a new member of the high button team, uh, he showed a lot of interest in the high button in the early days. We just didn't have that much work to do. But as we grow day by day, you know, the work piles up. And uh, and this guy was more than happy to jump on board. So we're excited to have him here. And we're also excited to have him on the podcast and talk about uh, his athletic career, what he does outside of the field and the rink. And it should be a good episode. So without further ado, Billy Hartley. Billy played in the Maritime Hockey League for the Yarmouth Mariner, Mariners, excuse me. also playing in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League for the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles. He also plays first base for the Dartmouth Dry Senior Men's Baseball Team. Uh, he, he actually came to Boston with us as well, uh, with myself and dudes. Great, great, great guy to bring on a trip. Um, he, you know, hard worker essentially is all you have to be in order to on the high button and just have somewhat of a have somewhat of a head on your shoulders which he does so it's going to be a good podcast high button justin dudes is going to be here as well billy hartley you know what comes next all right boys we're going billy welcome to uh welcome to the podcast it's been a long time coming i know you've been wanting to come on we've been wanting to have you on and now you're here, so full full circle. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. And thanks for the coffee, by the yeah, way. No problem, anytime. I'm uh, I'm still on this Eagle Energy tip, but nothing wrong with a little coffee every now and then. Yeah, you still need to pick me up here and there, right? You said you were cold. Coffee will warm you up. I'm freezing. Freezing. Fre- well, not you, but I'm always cold. No heat here. Or you have to pay extra. You gotta save money somehow here. <laughs> it has been pretty cold the last couple of days, so I mean. It, what is it today? Minus oh, thirteen. With the I wind think? chill, it's got to be close to minus thirty. With the windshield. <laughs> we're on the drive out to boston i thought it was hilarious that every patch of ice or every puddle we saw we got <laughs> excited because it was frozen and there's a potential possibility of us being able to skate on it and i was like that's how you know you're canadian if you see a patch of ice or a lake you yeah, just go bonkers you just kind of take it where you where you can go with it right that's what i was gonna say it's freezing but you know what we did a little pond hockey tour for the last couple of days and I don't know what excites you guys, but pond hockey season certainly excites me. I know you guys had pretty good uh, response there to your uh, pictures and videos from playing pond hockey. So, I mean, what's more Canadian than that? A couple, of, a couple beers, pond hockey. A little bit of Timmy's coffee there. or whatever. Billy, I'm worried about your mic just one sec here. All right. Okay, talking to it now? Yeah, am I good? I don't know. I guess so. I always figure out after, but uh-huh. yeah, it should be good for now. Um <laughs> I'm worried about your mic. I am. I'm always worried about the mic because we can't talk to it again. Yeah. Talk normal. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah that's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Right test, here. test. Middle. Test, middle. Yep. Everyone listening. Yeah, that's good. Perfect. Yeah, right good there. 90, hey? Oh, see, <laughs> see, you're the bottom right there. So, yeah. so that's perfect. It's like kind of high right there. Yeah, I got to yell, I guess. People that listen to the high button are well aware that we have microphone issues. So, yeah. yeah every episode. Okay. Hey, it's a little adversity. Just battle through it. Story of dudes is like, yeah. are you kidding me? <laughs> 
Well, that's all you say every time something bad happens. You go, want to hear a story? Battle through adversity. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's the whole purpose of, of memories is you got to learn from them, man. I'm not saying I learned from all of them. And don't make that mistake again. Have you ever made a mistake twice, dudes? What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah? What episode is this for me? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I was just expecting you to say no and then give me a, a life lesson right after it. No, man. I'm, that's one. I'm, not, I'm a realist. <laughs> I have no problem sharing my issues, you know? You got a couple problems. All right. Yeah. That's uh, for sure. <laughs> trade, trade deadline. Happened yeah. yesterday. Did it? Two days ago. Did it? Time flies when Monday, you're having fun. Monday, buddy. Time Monday. flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Um, Time flies when you're an idiot. The biggest trade that I've liked over that, the biggest acquisition... Nashville Simmons I think they're gonna win the cup now you know what that was a solid solid pickup because I mean they're probably gonna face the um, the Jets and some point in the playoffs and them picking up uh, Hayes there oh my goodness they're gonna be solid that's just more depth up the middle between Shifley Hayes um, uh, Little like they're they're so deep down the middle that I don't think any team's gonna be really able to play with them come uh, come playoff time because playoffs is all about crashing and banging and Hard nose hockey for two months straight. Especially on the West Coast. When we had Lowry on the podcast, that's what he talked about. He's like, I love playing on the West Coast because the West Coast Conference is my type of hockey. And that's what I that's my argument against what you're saying. Is it's too much crash and bang because by the time they go to the Eastern well, the, the finals, whoever comes out of the West, they're exhausted. I'm not saying that the East Coast isn't crash and bang, but it's just a little bit yeah, more they're finesse. Different, different style of hockey for sure. Like but you look at uh, you look at the Q versus the Dub, like see the exact same thing. You look at that; they have the guys coming out of the Dub. They're big, crash and bang. And by the time they're done their playoffs, they come into the Mem Cup. You see a team like uh, like a skilled team, like a couple of years ago, Rouen last year with Bathurst. You get guys that uh, that maybe haven't had it as physically as demanding as the the teams from out west, and that'll that'll break down over the the course of a week during a uh, a tournament like the Memorial Cup. I think we're past that era of hockey. I, I know they're still crashing and banging and stuff, but like when you're talking the West Coast crashing and banging hockey, I visualize like like 1990s to early 2000s where like teams like Dallas and like who else would it have been? New Jersey would just dump Colorado. the puck in and just run it behind D and just cr- actually crash and bang. You know what I mean? Now it's more of a puck possession, uh, special teams kind of game. Yeah, they're still crashing and banging. And yes, the playoffs will be much more intense for it. But I don't think necessarily each conference is going to be like kind of separated by their stamina. You know what I mean? I don't. I think it's going to be an equal grind on each side just because of today's game. But if you look at uh, if you look at big playoff series, like it, it's not the it's not the overall one game or one series of taking huge hits. It's the fact that you're playing four, three, four rounds of uh, yeah, of playoff hockey, little bumps here and there that. That takes a toll on you because not to mention being here. injured and stuff going in, right? Like you it, still just played an 82 game season. And you're Some playing, people aren't just like for a team like Tampa down the stretch. They're probably going to like rest their big dogs a little bit. You know what I mean? Whereas teams like, well, like what Colorado, even like there's a couple teams still in the wild card race that, which most teams are these days actually, but you got to actually grind all 82 games just to even get a sniff. You know, they always say rookies going into the NHL. That's the biggest adjustment is just the grind of an 82 game season. Like, you know, when you're in junior and you're like, Oh, the worst part of junior is coming home at 4am and you got to do this and that it's the same thing in the NHL. You're still flying into Detroit after you have a game at Madison square garden the night before you're still flying in. You're still playing every second. It's just that you're staying, it's just that you're staying in a five star hotel and you're getting a massage every single morning. That's the difference of the NHL. I think, And you're not driving, in the pink bus like per se you know that's the difference yeah. I, i've heard good things about the pink bus i know you, i know you shit on it a bit but i hear good stories about it from other people maybe it's just because you're the only one standing i know everyone it was else, a good laugh else was i know it was a good laugh Absolutely. for the other team laugh, coming you in you know what i had a lot of good memories on the bus <laughs> but like no i don't know who's telling you good things <laughs> well probably the guys that were sitting down yeah <laughs> yeah well that's we're not going back down that lane i'll just get fired up um, other trades that you guys like, top of the head. Uh, you know what? I really like McQuaid to Columbus. He's such a solid D-man. He's proven playoff performer, maritime boy, boy good PEI guy. You know, but I like and plus the uh, the moves they made up front. Like I mean, they're they're going for it at the end of the day. You look at Bobrovsky, solid in nets. They're D. Wierenski, like there. They picked up a bunch of guys, man. They're solid. Like they're a team to they're a team to watch out for come uh, come playoff time. Winnipeg was the biggest, uh, the biggest like 
piece, I guess, in the trade deadline, I think. All the people they picked up, like solid, solid. They did Win- Winnipeg, sorry? Winnipeg, yeah. yeah they, did like a, they had this thing where they what they gave up and what they got in return. And, man. Another guy GM, I feel whew. for, though, is uh, Zuccarello. First game oh. with Dallas, man. Goal, first shit. Like Blocks one of his first Did you shit. see uh, uh, Henrik Lundqvist? That was the interview. tough, tough. It just goes to show you the amount of passion that some of these guys have. Like some people will shit on them, like oh, a bunch of millionaires playing a game just for fun. But no, man, these guys give no, a man, fuck. That's the true. That video was the true meaning behind teammates being family. Man, think about when you're leaving a junior team after living with guys for two or three years and you don't see them again. Like that stuff's hard. Like I remember times in uh, like especially in Yarmouth, we had such a close group because when you're living in Yarmouth, <laughs> you got no one to help, no one else to hang out with unless you go to high school. And trust left, me, there high school wasn't the easiest uh, easiest spot to make friends. But uh, why? Wait, wait, wait. Why do you say that? Oh <laughs> uh, well, you know, you're uh, you're a new kid coming in, grade twelve, grade eleven, and uh, they see you, they see you automatically as competition or a threat. Like for myself and a couple of the other guys, like we had girlfriends going down there, so. We weren't competition to them, but they seen uh, other guys coming in from, say, either Halifax or Cape Breton, Newfoundland, that kind of stuff. They like to go and have fun, and uh, usually that means uh, taking away some of the talent from uh, from the locals. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. Yeah, but that's a given. If you're like, man, it's like it's, here with the Mooseheads. Like my sister goes to PA, and like it's the same thing happens there. It doesn't matter where you go. It's junior hockey. You hear the boys talk about it on other podcasts about going out and having fun. It's, yeah. it's just the way it's the way of the road, I guess. Yeah, it's not our fault. Yeah. It's the hockey culture, man. The culture yeah. side of hockey is never going to change, but it's the same with like college football down in the States. It's the exact same thing. You see, you see the guys walking around in the big high schools and then the big colleges. Like it's the exact same thing. It's, you you, know, you got to do those things, man. Yeah. Teams got to hang out outside of, uh, outside of the game, which is, was a point I'm going to backtrack to the Lundquist thing right quick. And, um, see, now I lost my train of thought. Take your time. I know, it was because of the whole... Lundquist, crying, New York, Madison Square Garden, Zuccarello. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My point was people forget to realize that these players actually live lives outside of hockey. You know what I mean? Like... Especially in New York. That's Mm -hmm. exactly right. So when, like, there's... They have families and stuff, and when your families, you know, start hanging out all the time, and then you're, you're together for 10 years, like, that's... I mean, think about if they have kids, they're best friends for 10 years, and then all of a sudden they separate. It's not just the hockey side of things, right? Like, yeah, it's easy to see, like, well, why is he crying on live TV? Like, you know? And that's one thing I think I, especially, I think all three of us really never experienced was the professional side of hockey. 100%. It's a total, like, I remember talking to Nosy, he dabbled a bit in it, and he essentially just said the lifestyle outside of the game is what changes, really. It's acting professional, it's, you mm-hmm. know, doing these little things that, they're making sure that you know you're in the public eye so you have to act correctly and those are things that we never experienced so i couldn't imagine on the nhl level once you start making this money once you start you know having your kids go to school once you have a wife that becomes friends with all the other teammates Mm -hmm. wives once you all that other shit that comes into play it's an actual job like it's an actual yeah you still have to go home at the end of the day you know what i mean like yeah some nights are longer than others but you still it's no different obviously it's a lot more fun (laughs) yeah that's what you work for. But just seeing that, uh, that seeing him tear up in a regular season interview rather than a playoff, like after a loss, game seven, that's when you usually see that. True. And I, I don't think I've ever seen uh, an interview like that in the regular season where a teammate, you know, kind of tears up. So that was kind of cool to see from him. For sure. The king. It definitely hit people, like a lot of people in the heartstrings. You know, the hockey community, man. Yeah. It's, they go with whatever emotions rolling in the yeah. hockey world. Um, <laughs> I want to go back to you, Billy Yarmouth Jr., small city. I never played junior hockey uh, in a small city. When I played, it was here, and the the Mooseheads essentially dominated the fan base. But I want to know what the fan base was like back in Yarmouth, like when you went out in public and trying to somewhat act professional, things like that. How how did that (laughs) go down? You know what? Um, Yarmouth is one of those spots. I mean, you can only say great things about the town, about the the organization, the, the people in the community. I mean, great fan base. Oh, Hated playing there, the, but great oh, fan and that base. was the thing. Like the when I was when I was playing there, my first year, they still had the puck banger. So they were basically <laughs> they would all line up behind the uh, behind the opposing team's net, and they would all have two pucks in their hands, and they would smash the pucks against the glass like, in warm up too. Keep like in, in mind, this is right the beside they, the bench as well. Yeah, from the time they opened up the gates an hour before the game until the time the last whistle went. They were banging those pucks on the glass. I remember I first showed up and I was like, what am I getting myself into? Like, it, <laughs> it honestly felt like a scene out of a movie. Like, what are these people doing? But Fans you just realize at the end of the day, like, we were the show in town. 
Yarm is such a small spot. You're three hours away from Halifax. You're an hour away from Digby where there's not much going on. You're like, that's the thing. A lot of, a lot of fishermen down there. So it's, they have a lot of time off, especially um, just before, like in early on in the season. The fishing season doesn't start until the end of November. So oh, yeah. you have the first while to have uh, a lot of hockey to be seen. And then, I mean, when you walk around town, you have your jacket on. Even if you don't have your tracksuit jacket on, you're walking around town. People are waving at you, asking how it's going, if you need anything. Like, that was the thing. It wasn't Fuck, just... man. We were there four years later, and the guy was like, Billy! Yeah, the pizza he... place. I'm like, Jesus. I got to recognize you four years later? Yeah, oh, least. man. Like, that's the thing. You, like, I still get messages on Facebook. Like, it's great to see. It's just... Wow. It's such a community-based team, and they treat you so well. And uh, the first year I was in Yarmouth, we actually went to uh, the finals. We beat you guys uh, yeah, relax, in the first relax, round. Relax, yeah. relax Sorry, there. bud. How are you guys even there? This is my podcast here. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, actually, I'm going to talk about that run for a bit because that was the like by far the highlight of my junior career. We I so I went and decided that hey it was uh it was the next step for me to go and play junior i was drafted by yarmouth that wasn't wasn't toted to play junior a just kind of yeah just kind of went down and worked my uh worked my ass off just wanted to be there wanted to get better and ended up making the team out of camp which i was uh pretty excited so about. how old were you uh i was 17 didn't you had played did you play high school uh, i played high school my grade 10 year uh then my grade 11 year played subways and grade 12 year, I stuck it out in junior A, played a little bit. That's right. very talk about, similar to me. So yeah. You want to talk about, like, that's not even taking the stairs, man. It's taking the escalator up. Yeah, you know? well, <laughs> I mean, if you want to if you want to even dig a little further back, uh, first year Bantam, I mean, as a kid growing up from time novice to second year Pee Wee, I was probably one of the better kids around town. Like, I was traveling quite a bit. Actually, one of the uh, spring hockey teams that uh, Liam O'Brien and I played on, there was Anthony Mantha. There was uh, Andreas Anthony C U. Oh yeah. Uh, like we were just stacked, dude. Like it, it was it was incredible. Didn't you play with McKinnon for a bit? Yeah, we played like Nova Scotia Selects together. He so he's a ninety five and I'm a ninety four. And he would play up with us in the spring, so he would play with guys like Taylor Burke, myself. Like What's he what was he like? Man, he would, he, he was he so show? good. Everyone everyone knew he was going to the show. Like Brad Crosley would come out and practice with us, and he would be like, he's like, this is the guy that you should be looking up to. And we were all like, man, this guy is a year younger than us. Like, <laughs> but like, you, you, could, coach? you could just tell he had that natural gift. He had that natural ability. He Like his skating set him apart right from day one. Still does. Still does, exactly. Like people, I would tell people early on <sighs> in like when he was playing World Juniors, I would always argue with the guys from Quebec. They would always be like, oh, Drew Ann's the better player. Drew Ann's the better player. I was like, dude, I've watched this kid grow up, man. He is going to be like, he's going to be the real deal. Next thing you know, Drew Ann lights up the world juniors and they're all like, oh, Drew Ann might be number one, might be number one. It's like, don't, man. It was the Seth Jones it. saga too, right? Exactly. And Until then, he lit him up four times. And <laughs> I remember what, it was in the Mem Cup when McKinnon blew by Seth Jones. And after that, I think it was Nick Kiprios that came on. Yeah. And he's like, he just solidified first overall after that drive. <laughs> just on that one. It was. like, And it was funny. I remember that Mem Cup. That was a very interesting Mem Cup because the draft, because, you know, every NHL draft year, there's a lock at number one. Oh, yeah. That year, no, no, no. There were, No one knew. No. Until the end. Until the end. Yeah. And I remember what you just said about Until the Drew big Ann. stage, right? Exactly. Uh, Drew Ann. A lot of people thought he was a better junior player, which... I don't know. No, he was just more flashy, and that's it was what that was see. just more his game. Yeah, yeah. Junior, think of the guys he's playing against. But yeah. you look at Nate though; he goes to the dirty areas all the time. He drives like wide and shit. Like Druen's like under the stick, through the feet. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm not saying he doesn't do the other things, but McKinnon's not going to get noticed as much mm -hmm. because he's just not doesn't have as much flair. Yeah, and he's strong. He's he's just like he's deceiving though, which is part of his game. Like he's three strides, and then all of a sudden you're like, you got your gap, you got your gap, and then boom, he's gone to the net, and you're like, what just happened? He didn't even move. Yeah. Whereas Druen's like. All over the place, right? Yeah. Which is still hard to contain. Well, McKinnon but is up and down. Druin is right, left. Even his side to side, though, like McKinnon, he like he was so fast. I, I remember playing against him in the queue, and I was just like, honestly, what the hell am I doing on the ice <laughs> against this guy? Like, I have no, <laughs> I have no reason being out there. And it's funny actually, because like my my queue career lasted forty four games or something. Like it wasn't wasn't very impressive, but uh, <laughs> better than most. The one, uh, the one, uh, the one memory I do have, and the only reason why it's a, a good memory of mine is because it's the only pitcher 
I have a me playing in an actual game, <laughs> and it's a picture of Jonathan Drouin going by me on the half wall, <laughs> and it is, and and it, as sad as it is, I didn't like I didn't play enough to get any pictures on the ice. Do you so have it framed or anything? No, I get him to sign it. It's somewhere, yeah. but maybe one day down the line, I'll uh, I'll get him to sign it. But no, it's pretty uh, pretty funny that the only picture I have of like game action is against Jonathan. Dude, Drouin. what about the one on the bench? So you picking your nose? Yeah, actually, it was. I'm, uh, it was my 18 year. We were <laughs> playing a game in. Uh, we were playing a game in Cape Breton just before Christmas. It was a Friday night, like probably like the 23rd or something. And in the Friday queue, nights. you only get you only get like two or three days at home. So I was like chomping at the bit, getting ready to go home. I was super excited to see fam- or family and friends and all that kind of stuff. So we play the Friday night uh, before at home. So we had a legit full week off before Christmas. We so you're played monk- so like we had a full week off, and then we played and then went home. So we had to sit around for a full week. <laughs> After we played, and then played the next Friday. So we were sitting around practicing for the whole whole week, play the Friday night. I'm in the lineup. I was like, all right, sweet. At least the game will go by a little quicker and all <laughs> that kind of stuff. So get on the bench. First period goes by. Maybe see two, three shifts. Second period, uh, maybe a shift, I think. And we were playing Moncton. Moncton was pretty good that year. They had, like, the Sonier twins. Yeah. And, like, they were – they had um, – Dimitri Yaskin, Barbashev. Oh, Barbashev? Oh, yeah. Okay. They were were solid that year. And then third period comes around. All my family and friends are at home watching the game, like excited to see me play. (laughs) They do a panorama of the uh, bench, so they go from one end to the other. (laughs) Get to my spot. I'm right in the middle of the bench. I I have my mouth guard in on my bottom mouth, like on my bottom (laughs) teeth, like not even on my top teeth. I have my mouth guard on my bottom teeth. Just like fucking around. Just biting on it, not even paying attention, and my finger up my nose. Dead serious. On Eastlink TV and like Friday night hockey, I was like, oh yeah, here we go. I'm definitely sticking up here. <laughs> uh, the sad part is that's his most memorable picture. Man, so, and someone freeze free, uh, framed it. Yeah. And, like <laughs> literally put it, like literally was watching TV, <laughs> press pause, sent it to me and put it on like social media. I was like, ah, oh, here we go. Like, Amazing. Let the oh, roast yeah. begin, right? Like, We'll have to get it back up one day. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So that was do a pretty. You, uh, do you still have it? Oh, I definitely still have it. Yeah. We lost it. No. There we go. Man, the studio's gonna fall apart one day. That's a hilarious. That's a hilarious yeah, it was a, story. It was a pretty good one for sure. I mean, pretty memorable at, at least. Yeah, of course. We got sidetracked, anyways, because I want to. The, the main reason for me asking you about high school was to basically show anybody who was listening that no matter which route you take, you still have a chance. You know what I mean? If you if you're good enough, you'll get seen. So you went from being one of the top notch like younger minor hockey players which is like everybody there's always those guys right some then my dad always said it was a funnel right like the tough guys make it through but you were small and then when you got to the higher levels you stayed small yeah no so when i so coming out of peewee super small kid like maybe five foot not even 100 pounds yet and went out and tried out for my band of triple a team i got cut from band of triple a that was probably the biggest blow of my hockey career at that (sighs) point because i Man, I played AAA all the way through. I had a couple hundred points in, like, PUE. Like, I was like I thought I was going to the NHL just on skill alone. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that there's other intangibles in your game that you have to work on and figure out. Like, I didn't realize the, the whole working out, the whole nutrition, the actual focus of the game that you got to do to get to that next level. Uh, so I went and tried out for the double – so I went and tried out for the AA team, got cut from the double A team. So I went from playing Pee Wee Triple A being one of the top players around down the shitter. Right down to Baname. So went down to Baname and I was like, you know what? Like I essentially I just said screw it. I'm not even gonna really like I didn't really like hockey at that point. I How so could I decided you? Oh I'd be livid. So I then what I, would I decided I was like, you know what, I'm gonna play defense and I'd just have some fun. So I moved back to defense uh, in Baname, just out of the blue, just said, you know what, I'm gonna just have some fun. Ended up at, like not really having much fun because it wasn't like not saying that I didn't have fun, but like I was used to competitive hockey at that point. I wanted to be like the next level hockey player and the kids that I was playing with just, they were out there having fun. Nothing wrong again, like nothing against missing games and shit. Like exactly. And I was, and that just wasn't what I was used to at that point. So that kind of kicked me in, like kind of gave me a kick in the ass to say, Hey, if I want to, if I want to play band of triple A next year with all my buddies. And that was the tough part was going to school, was going to school the next day and seeing my buddies that are playing band of triple A and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you know what, why the fuck aren't I there? 
And as as bad mm-hmm. as it sounds, I got I got jealous. I got envious of them, and I kind of used it as motivation. That's a normal feeling and, for you to have. After and that. just because growing up, I was always a really high skilled player. I knew that my skill was never going to be the issue. So if I just worked on the other things, then that would be what propelled me to the next level. And right. then the next year, uh, I made Bantam AAA and as a forward or D uh, as a forward. So right. I moved back to forward, and I was like, you know what, I'm going back. And we had a lot of returning guys because the Bantam AAA team the year before was a lot of first-year kids. So I was showing up on a team with already six forwards. So they're top six, and you only carry three lines in Bantam at that time. That's true. I didn't. I so yeah. you, so you only had nine forwards. Do spots. they carry four now? Uh, we carry. Uh, so I coach the uh, Colbert Major Bantam team, and we carry um, eleven forwards. Okay. So back then you'd only carry nine and there was six spots already taken. So there was only three spots open and I was going for one of those spots and I just kind of went with it, worked, uh, worked my ass off in camp. Did you made grow at all? Sorry. Did you grow at all? I grew a little bit. I, at that point I was maybe about five, two, five, three. Ooh, big yeah, man. big. I, you know what? But that, that's all it took me to get that confidence. Cause I, I could feel that in battles. Like True. I wasn't losing battles as easily and that kind of Your stuff. Your reach was different. That kind of stuff. It, yeah. And that kind of stuff. So, and it, Bantam AAA second year, that's a big time because I remember there was guys, Last my best buddies were having Brad Crosley and Steve Kroll and all those guys coming to your house, Kirk Collinson, coming to your house talking to you about commitments. And it was all about the verbal commitment at the time where you would have your have your coach come in say, hey, you made the team and it's October, like get ready for next year yeah. kind of thing. And I remember there was a couple guys that, that were committed and I that were my best buddies, played with them my whole life. And then that really made me realize that why isn't that me? Yeah. Like, and that was always been my mindset. Like you just can't, you can't just sit there and sulk. Cause at the end of the day, no one's going to feel sorry for you. You're not going to be able to, mm. um, you're not going to be able to battle through adversity. Like same thing happens. You're late in a game. You're on the end of your shift. You're on a penalty kill. There's a loose puck on the wall. It's all about will at that point. Mm-hmm. No skill is going to get you. No skill is going to win you that battle. It's all about heart. It's all you about find it. You got to find it in you and you just got to, and you just got to work for it. So, um, Coming in, so that year in Bantam AAA, I had a very good season. Thought I did, uh, thought I did very well for an undersized guy. Didn't play a bunch, but at that point, my next next jump was major midget camp, and I got absolutely manhandled. My first major midget camp, I went to the Subways camp, and they were they were a solid team. I mean, yeah. obviously, like solid franchise. Yeah, they I mean, <laughs> they've had a few guys that have uh, gone a few. somewhere. What's so. his name? Sidney Crosley or something? Oh, he played uh, there, did he? Yeah. <laughs> Marchand is that a guy? <laughs> Did he Marchand? play? Oh, I think geez. so. Wicked awesome. Um, Shepherd. Anyway, <laughs> we can we can continue that uh, another day. But uh, so I went to Subway's camp, and that was really where it put hockey into perspective for me because I realized mm-hmm. that I was not even close to playing at the major midget level, and just from the the fact alone that like skill can only get you so far. Like you can have all the skill in the world. You look at uh, bigger guys like. Um, just like growing up, you see guys that aren't great skaters but have a ton of skill. They get weeded out. Their Absolutely. skating isn't great. That's just a skill that they that they don't have. Um, for for a guy that's smaller, if they're smaller, they got to either be a water bug and be able to get out of those situations that they get themselves into, mm-hmm. or they got to be strong enough on this on their skates or smart enough as a player to not put themselves in that position. Mm. So with that, I realized that I didn't have that in my game yet. So I got cut for major midget. Obviously, that was a blow. And at the time, they didn't have this minor midget uh, league that they have now, which is, I think, personally, an incredible idea, yeah. which is a great development league for those kids. It's almost like, a second. I don't want to call it a second chance league, but it's just like it gives you the confidence to be able to push forward, right? Like you get cut from it and you're like, well, what do I do? Oh, dude. I, and there's so many people that get to that. Well, that got to that point where they didn't make major midget. And then the next step was either minor midget, which was guys outside smoking before the game or <laughs> yeah. whatever and that's and obviously being cut from a major midget team or high school and high school was obviously you're having fun with your buddies but it's not like super serious good hockey but at that point you're not a lot of guys don't actually take that next step from high school mm-hmm. so when you see someone that does make that jump from high school to major midget that kind of shows that hey you know what this kid's committed and commitment like is one of the most important things when it you comes guys to hockey. both made the jump yeah from high school and there's a lot there's junior. a lot of guys that have too like jared grant did the exact same thing yeah and he oh yeah jared and high school. jared was and jared was one of those guys like kind of kind of behind the scenes that i that i looked up to because he played during the subways played high school that kind of thing and cool. that uh, just that kind of route so you could make that uh you can kind of make that uh, comparison 
So that made it a little easier to to kind of go through that situation where you. Yeah, I wanted to touch on your first major midget camp because you're going in there 15, you're undersized in, in Bantam or whatever it is, right? Like some of these kids in these camps have like are either turning 18 or have already turned 18. I was gonna say like the puberty. And factor. you don't like you don't realize that at a, as a 15 year old the difference between you and an 18 year old. But when you're 18 playing against 15 year olds, you'd notice it, right? Like some of these guys got beards already, bro. Like they're fully gone through puberty. They've hit their growth spurt already. Like these guys are almost men, you know. Aside from like the mentality, mm-hmm. these guys are yeah. like they're some some guys we played in in my first year were like six four, like 250. Like what yeah. what are we gonna do? I remember when <laughs> it's a big difference. I hit puberty, probably 14, 15. I was at a summer camp at St. Mary's playing against good players, like, you know, AAA players. And I don't know, you dudes played with me when I was younger. I, I was, you know, I was afraid to get hit. I was a winger. I had a hard time getting the puck out yeah, of the wall. because he was wearing kid, a Jofa. Right? And, yeah, fuck off. <laughs> I'm trying to open up here. You just hit me while I'm fucking down. Um, and I remember just being like, you know, intimidated by the bigger players and then that just one year you just kind of hit puberty you grow you're mm-hmm. like six foot i was still a lanky kid but i had the confidence to make a pass harder i was confident to take that second look to be able to chip the puck over the guy coming my way and it's funny that one summer just kind of changed my career in hockey and i feel a lot of people that make the jump like you and i have that one summer yeah. have that one year that's just like wow okay i'm turning into a man here but you know and what? Then that makes the difference it was the it was actually that's the uh year after my grade 10 year so i played high school hockey for dartmouth yeah. high and let me tell you we had a wicked time but we won maybe two games all year like <laughs> we were we were awful we like we were no good i was what playing i was playing top line <laughs> minutes as a grade 10 on a terrible team so i mean that probably helped me a lot in development just in the fact that i was playing a lot with older kids because high school hockey is a grade 12 league doesn't matter where you're going so i mean plus you're playing a lot at school now you can tell in high school hockey when we were at that tournament the other day there was an auburn versus cpa game on i think you can tell the players who care and don't oh yeah and easily and and the funny thing was is i was playing uh, that year actually brennan Sonier and i played against each other oh, yeah. in high school hockey yeah. he was playing for citadel at the time which uh he was tiny which, too yeah exactly and we both had the the kind of the same uh, the same situation mm-hmm. really skilled just smaller guys didn't really get that opportunity because at that point there was a lot of uh, a lot of size involved with uh, with decision making in uh, in hockey. Absolutely. But, uh, no, Sorry, it's been. Uh, but no, it's been a like for I know for Sans it's been a crazy ride for him like just coming back from Sweden playing pro and all that kind of stuff. Obviously, I didn't have uh, quite the extent of a career as yeah. he did, but it just shows you that you don't have to play major midget your first year, get drafted into the queue, play in the queue, go on play university play pro there's other routes that you can go to and get to that same spot like you can go play mm-hmm. uh, especially in the media era oh it's crazy you can and that was one thing that i did want to touch on you can nowadays it's so easy to get access of game tape or film or anything like that and yeah. just sending it out to coaches you don't that's the thing you don't need someone to come knocking down your door to get a spot on the team Not you anymore. go to them if you go to them and send them a message send that shows initiative and if you're showing initiative that you want to be there that you want to be a part of a program you're gonna get looked at you're gonna get looked at just mm-hmm. on the fact that you want to be there that's a good point coaches love seeing that you want to be there there's nothing better like i know uh, myself coaching now when you see a kid that comes to practice every day and wants to get better like how do you not put that kid on the ice yeah. and you that, find it's easy to tell oh like you, just like uh, since you started coaching do you find it's like easy to not that you want to like pick them out but it's like tar- easy to tell like which guy comes and gives a shit and which guy doesn't not like you can you can tell for like sure. on every team you can you can always tell it doesn't matter if you're in work or if you're in school you can just tell by looking around a room um when something's going on like if uh, like if you're in a classroom and the teacher's talking and you look over in the corner and you see little Timmy on his phone and you see the other guy in the chatting. T- chatting and then another guy taking down notes like which kid do you feel more it's not that you feel more obligated to help but that kid's showing the initiative that he wants to be there he wants to get better so I mean he's just trying to better himself and you want to help people that want to better themselves because those are the people that you should want to sur- surround yourself by and now that you've started coaching I know, obviously, through your your line of career, you've been a, you've been a prick to your coach at some point, right? Do you find or do you think now, maybe you were a little bit hard on your coaches at some point over your career? Because I know I certainly do. Yeah, everyone has for sure. Yeah, that. But that's also too the coach trying to get the best out of you at True. points because I know for me, I wasn't uh, like from to motivate me. An easy way to do it: call me out. 
Oh, you yeah. say that Same I can't here. do it. If you tell me I can't do something, oh man, I can't wait to prove you wrong. That's the best. One. That's it's just the mentality that people that people have. But then you also have the kids on the other side too that you say that to, and they'll just absolutely crumble. Yeah, crumble. Like you're and, right, I can't. Yeah, and, and, and it's just like, well, then what's the point? Like you, you can't get babied through everything. Obviously, you have to read situations and react to situations differently. But I mean, at the end of the day, you got to be able to, like, be able to take criticism. Doesn't matter if it's constructive. Or not. I got a question for you. Yeah. Was there any point in your career when you were addressed for not maybe not giving a shit? Um, off the ice, yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. But <laughs> on the ice, on the ice, no, I don't think. Um, just, just off the ice was mostly, um, and it wasn't even um, like partying or boozing or going out. It was putting in the the extra effort off the ice just through uh, workouts, yeah. stretches, that kind of stuff. Like I know in in like the basically the dog days of winter, basically from just after Christmas to just before playoffs or just before Christmas, you're kind of in the rut where you're practicing every day, playing on the weekends. Like you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, and you just get into like kind of like a rut, and you get a little bit lazy. And I found that I would always get lazy just before Christmas because you're at the point where you're just like, all right, <laughs> you get, see it. get me home. You're on that home stretch. You know what I mean? Mm. So I found. That those were the times, but right after that, you just need a little a little break. You can find that, like you'll see that even in the NHL, guys will take a couple games off or just okay. like who was it last year? Was it Vasilevsky that took took Dubit- a little Dubitsky bit? Dubitsky did. Yeah, like and it's and it got just, sent home on a Vegas trip. Yeah, that's a that's a tough look though. Vegas trip <laughs> sent, sent home. home. Ooh, I don't know about that, but I mean, still getting paid five million a year. Yeah, you, I guess you can do whatever you want then. Yeah. But when you're playing junior and you're trying to trying to get to that next level, whether it be university, whether it be pro or or whatnot, you you got to kind of realize that hey, this is if you want to do the series, you gotta you gotta commit to it. You gotta be all in. You gotta yeah. throw your chips on the table. That was one thing I learned the hard way too. I remember when we were up, uh, or not we, when I was up with the Mooseheads for a little bit. Bobby Smith was coaching, and you know Bobby Smith, obviously mm-hmm. first overall Montreal Canadiens, historic NHL career, Trust and we us. were actually in Cape Breton getting the getting we were fucking losing and uh and he comes in the room he goes let me make one thing clear there's two types of people on this team one there's a type of people that want to make it to the nhl go to university and have a great career two there's people that are just here for the pussy that's what he, that's what he says to us and he goes and i know who's here for the pussy <laughs> next thing you know trade deadlines i think two days Three days after that, half the team essentially got shaken yeah. up, gone. Yeah. <laughs> and it just like scared the living shit out of everyone. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. And not that it didn't happen in junior A, but there's definitely guys in junior A that are just there based on their skill and don't really care as well. So oh, if sure. someone gets shipped to Amherst, they're not, they don't care. They're mm-hmm. still playing hockey. They're just happy to be there. But when you're in the queue, it's a completely different yeah. mindset. It's like, okay, if I can do well here, I can go to the NHL and potentially well, your make $700,000 a year. Yeah. And it's not only that, you're, if you play. Major juniors is just a stepping stone for all kinds of different pro pro hockeys. Yeah, university, all kinds. It's a gateway for scholarships, like all kinds of shit. But that's the thing too. You got you also got to think. There's like especially when like when we went down to Boston, there you go down and you take a look at spots like Harvard and BU. Like, why would you not want to play there? I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I mean, unless you're a Nathan smack. McKinnon or uh, like any kind of top top round guy going into the queue. Go play NCAA hockey. So anyone that's listening right now, the BU dressing room was an NHL caliber dressing room. We're talking hot tub. We're talking cold tub. We're talking tiled BU showers. We're talking gitch room. We're talking ping pong table. Ping pong table. We're talking lounge room. We're talking anything and everything. And by the way, the stadium that they play in is... Well, almost NHL caliber mm-hmm. like stadium own private gym like they don't have to share their gym with the rest of the school no it's their own hockey gym I'm just like BU is obviously one of the top notch college teams but even the Harvard room like oh, shout incredible. out to Shane Bowers for getting us in there yeah, yeah well. Shane and Willie there like I'm so happy we went on that trip and saw that side of hockey because we're all used to junior hockey. None of us have really – maybe you guys went up and saw Wig play in Plymouth, but yeah. that was my first time ever being exposed to, to that type of hockey. But you know what? We don't Holy get that exposure at all here, no. um, especially because of I our junior – Especially because of our junior <laughs> A league that we have here. It's a lot of – you see it as like a graveyard for like Q guys and O guys. That not kind so of much stuff. anymore, though. Not anymore, but like When we before. played, like my first year, if you went to junior A, you had no – like I was – I played in the era of – if you got drafted in the 14th round of the junior A draft, you were the, like one of the top prospects for the queue. 
Do you know what I mean? Like they just took your rights because they they didn't have any more picks, and if somebody gets sent down, then they have their rights, yeah. right? Which you've seen a ton of. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Guys going up. Some guys got sent home for not giving a shit. Some guys get sent home because they just couldn't compete. Yeah. Like, but it it also the one reason for the for the exposure thing, I believe, is for scouts. You go to Ontario. You go to a junior A game in Ontario. I would say ninety seven percent of those guys on the ice have a have their eligibility. So they, why would they come down to Nova Scotia to watch maybe four or five guys yeah. that have their eligibility to play? So that just doesn't make make sense on a program um, in the States to, to send a scout to watch a game where there's only a couple uh, prospects or they can go to a game in Ontario and drive within an hour over the weekend and see hundreds of prospects. So, right. and, and I'm not saying don't go to the queue. It's not a good, good route, but for guys that maybe bloom a little later, like you look yeah. at a guy like Brennan Sonier, you like those yeah, he are did the, the, he did it too. He played NCAA, and that's what I mean. He played NCAA. He went from even high school. Wig went lace, and that's the th- and it, it doesn't. You don't have to be this top prospect to go somewhere and Although do something. Helps. Everyone has their own road. Everyone has their own path. You just gotta honestly, you just gotta stick to to working hard on and off the ice working on your skills and being a good team player because when it comes down to it there's a ton of guys there's a ton of guys with a boatload of skill Mm -hmm. because you can you can take skills camps for days for days in Mm -hmm. the summertime you can be on the ice every day not me i was natural but if you don't have a good if if you're not a good teammate you're not going to the next level because the coaches don't want you on the team and if you're not a good teammate you're probably not winning, and if you're not winning, what's the point of having you? It's funny. We had Matt Anthony on here, the Newbridge coach, and he said that when scouts call him, Piggy. it's not even about what kind of player is he; it's what kind of guy is he. Well, they know because they know what kind of player he is. Body language, all that kind of stuff, like the, the like the things that you don't see um, in their skill and on their right. Like when I think about ice. body language, I cringe about what I would have looked like Same. as a minor hockey player. Same. Like all those times, my dad would tell me like, "Calm down, shut up," and all this stuff, and then you're yelling back at him like. Man, no wonder, you know? I remember once we were playing the Subways in the game where the overtime game. Well, and I, I won? Or the triple overtime game? Triple overtime game, not in the end. Penny. Um, and I flinched at a guy. And I remember I went back in the car. Dad talked to me. He said, what are you doing flinching at someone? You're not tough. Put the puck <laughs> in the net. What are you doing? You look like an idiot. You know, all the scouts were here. They saw that. They're going to, you know. Keep it in the toolbox. And then back in the yeah. day, you're just like, oh, whatever, Dad. I don't care. But then, you know, you grow up. You're like, ah, that wasn't a good look. No. You think it's cringeworthy, stuff like that. Breaking Hindsight's always twenty twenty though. What's that? Hindsight. Um, always twenty twenty. I liked how you said, especially if you're a late bloomer, consider NCAA options. Because um, most players are late bloomers. You know, you'll have those players that are early bloomers, but they're a rare, a rare breed. Mm-hmm. Most guys, you know, they start to come into themselves 16, 17, 18 years old, and by then you're two years into junior. Yeah. If you take those years off, go play somewhere else. Then go play yeah. NCAA. My God. And that's the thing. Like you, Wig. Wig became a better player at the age of twenty. He, he was yeah. in his prime at 20. Well, think about that. How are you not going to, like, if you stay with it, by the time you're at 20, you know, you've somewhat matured in comparison to you at 16, 17, and 18, yes. right? So now you've also played the game for another four years. You're a man. That's what I mean. And you understand all the bumps and bruises that go with the game, so you learn how to adjust you according to what's going on. Playing university hockey, too, is not like going to university like you're out of high school at 18 years old. University hockey, you're usually going a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Once you, a couple Five. years after. After you're done um, high school. So by the time you start university hockey, you're probably 19, 20 years old. Anyway. And then you have your four years or five years of university. So you're playing until you're 25. Yeah. Like, that's Let me the tell th- you, I do it. That's the thing. <laughs> you could play your four years in junior and hopefully get a, get a scholarship to like university hockey. But if that doesn't work out, then you're sitting around with nothing at that point. So, I mean, you might as well use your hockey, go to school. That's I, I, after doing that trip, I'd be happy to be the water boy for BU or Harvard. Wow. Like just the Have nicest it. establishments, the nicest, like, I don't know how anyone else can get access to what we got access to, but if you ever have the opportunity to go on the campus or just look around, just do it. It, it was just incredible. I couldn't imagine it puts going a lot in, of it in NHL compar- Like You put it in comparison to, to like what we have here, right? And it's almost not fair to, because even when, while we were driving, you've seen University of this South, University of the same thing North, but mm. like there's probably, what, like a million universities or NCAA schools in that, that like, area. In like colleges and shit like that that have hockey teams and yeah. like, it's ridiculous. But these are like the top class. I've, obviously, everybody knows Harvard and BU, BU's like their walls were covered in NHL alumni. Like they're covered. running out yeah, of space. Yeah, I found that pretty uh, ironic. Right beside their sled track they had, 
like where you sled where you, track. the sled, sled track. Remember they had the turf, uh, the turf sled. Like you where drag you it. Throw the, oh yes, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Right beside it, they had Ryan Whitney's photo. Yeah, and <laughs> apparently that guy has no legs. So that's, <laughs> I just found that pretty ironic. They probably we, put it there strategically. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think the local ones by ping pong? I guarantee you, he's unreal at ping pong. Did we find out who that guy was in there working out? The guy with the said he had skinny legs. Did we get a name on no, that guy? No, I don't think so. Well, so get, hopefully Bowers listens. He can hit us up with the name. So we're in the room. Uh, the, we're in the BU gym, and there's one player in there working out. And <laughs> essentially, you know, what's how's it doing, boys? Nice to meet you. Blah blah. blah. I forget his name. And he's wearing like these tight spandex, and he's got he's got chicken legs. He has very skinny legs, and he goes, "All right, boys, nice to meet you. I got to get back. I got uh, I got skinny legs. I got to make them bigger." <laughs> and he's just, just in the gym, just doing squats, just yeah. fucking trying to get but them bigger. At the same time, he was the only one there. I don't know whether it was an injury or not, yeah, but true. like what you know, like he could have easily not been working out. Yeah, that's true. Which would have been my route for sure. Imagine if you had your own private gym, you'd go work out every day. I would just use the hot tub. How nice was that hot tub? I want to go in it. I want to take a shower. Did you see the shower? You needed a shower at that point. Oh, yeah, I stunk. <laughs> I don't blame you. I did. Um, I want to talk about Cape Breton. Mm -hmm. You played in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League for the Cape Breton Screaming Eagles. What was uh, what was the first game in the queue like? Uh, <laughs> so I got called up my 17-year-old year, year uh, just before Christmas. From Yarmouth. From Yarmouth. It's a great uh, Christmas gift. Actually, I was pretty choked because I was supposed to have a couple weeks off at Christmas, and <laughs> that, that shortened it. And... Uh, but life. yeah, the reason why I was choked because I uh, got the call. It was like a Wednesday. We played Friday. They go, yeah, do you want to come up to Cape Breton and play against uh, St. John Sea Dogs? I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> they had Jonathan Huberto. They had Yurko Gallia. Like, they were stacked that year. I remember going out and I played against their third line. And it was like Steve McCauley, Brad T-Sink. Uh, like, I was just like, these <laughs> Did guys. Did they win the Mem Cup that year? Yeah. yeah. And these guys played. Like these guys were drafted to the NHL, and I was literally just taking gear bags off the Junior A bus like an hour and a half ago. Like this is <laughs> this is crazy. And an hour but, and a half ago. But it was. But then the uh, so that was a Friday night, and then the Saturday, um, the Saturday was pretty cool because we played against the Mooseheads in Cape Breton. Cool. And um, during uh, Sawyer Hanna's time with the Mooseheads, he he lived with me, so like he was. Oh, uh, sick! So it was pretty cool playing against him and like uh, Brent Andrews and Darcy Ashley and like Steve Gillard and those guys because they would always come over uh, just for like lunch and stuff after uh, after school or just come over play video games that kind of stuff. Cool. So it was uh, it was pretty cool to actually uh, get out on the ice and and play against them because were they chirping you? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, not uh, not Make me so lunch. much not so much that game just because they they could probably tell just by the look on my face that I was nervous just being uh, just being out there. But uh, the next year when I actually played full time, uh, they started giving it to me a little bit more, getting uh, getting into it. But uh, so how long is the drive from Yarmouth to Cape Breton? Uh, <sighs> be about like good question eight hours. So you're you got Did they fly you? No, gosh no. You got now you get the call to go to the queue, which is like ultimately the dream. Yeah, and now you're you're like. Fuck man, I'm in Yarmouth. So it's not even like, you know, a couple hours you got the jitters. It's a mm -hmm. full eight hour day that you're sitting there like, like you're, you know what I mean. I can imagine your hands were probably sweating. Um, you know what I mean? Just nervous as hell. Dude, right? I, I remember, I remember getting the call at lunchtime, and like I was in high school in Yarmouth at the time. So I remember getting the call, and I was going to Subway or something, and got a call, and he was like, "Yeah, you want to come up and play?" I was like, uh, "All right." Like, yeah. He was like, "All right. Uh, well, I'm gonna need you up here tomorrow by by about one. We have practice at two. All right, I'll be. I'll leave now. I was like, "Do you have a car?" I didn't have a car, so that was immediate panic. I was just like, "Oh, like, what am I gonna do? Like, how how is this gonna work?" Kind of thing. So, uh, one of the guys on the team drove me up here to Halifax um, that day. So I got Who here. Who was it? Showed him out. Uh, honestly, I don't even remember. Shit. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that whole day was such a blur. I'm lucky I even remember that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so I got to Halifax, I actually stayed the night in Halifax and I got up in the morning and uh, drove up with my parents because they were obviously they weren't missing, uh, yeah. missing my first game in the queue, Jamie. considering uh, I was playing high school hockey about 16 months before that. But so. 36 hours before that. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Do you do you how many shifts did you play in your first game? Do you know? Actually, it was probably more than the average game I seen after that. Because they were uh, they were down a few bodies, so I don't you know. must have been dash three or something like that, were you? Plus two after the weekend. Plus two. No, that's why coach was like, "All right, get him off. Yeah. He's plus two. Yeah. Keep him there." No, <laughs> you but, fought uh, though. You fought one of your buddies. Yeah, I fought Hoyles. That was uh, that was a good laugh. Actually, 
that same game, uh, one of the guys that I played uh, midget with uh, with Hoyles and I, Cole yeah. Murphy, he got in a fight with one of Hoyles' teammates and dislocated his shoulder. So he was in the middle of the fight throwing, felt looking pretty good. And then all of a sudden, you just see him drop to one like one side, but he didn't drop like his he didn't drop to his knees. He stayed on his feet and just kind of leaned over. Yeah. And the guy on Blainville just absolutely started feeding him <laughs> and his arm was out of place like his shoulder oh, was out of place that must be the worst feeling. Oh, oh, i remember man. just looking at him i was like i do not wish that on anyone i do and not want to fight now no so he was he was done for the game and <coughs> and then later on in the game i remember um one of our 16 year olds got uh, got kind of greased and our coach was like well someone go out there and do something next guy to touch him you better have your gloves off kind of thing and hoyles as as hoyles plays hard nose hockey stepped up on him and so i Went up to him and it was funny because we joked about it beforehand and Hoyles and I just fighting. But everybody does or everybody else. Everyone, everyone. But like we were joking about it. But then like obviously he fought some pretty heavies and I didn't have a fight in the cube. I had a couple in junior A, but nothing to nothing to be proud of. So (laughs) I uh, so then that happened. and I was like, you know what? I scored the week before. It was my only goal in the queue. So I was like, you know what? I'm feeling good. Maybe this will get me that that bump I need. And so I dropped the gloves. Guys gave me a tap on the ass, and then I sat on the bench the next day in Drummondville for about 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing, man. When you sit for that long, and then they finally give you the tap, like, I know when I played Bridgewater, man, it's so hard to get out there and play. Like, I sat pretty much, like, almost a full game one time with Bridgewater in the Bridgewater arena, cold-ass arena. And there's, like, three minutes left in the third period, and he gives me the tap, and I'm like... What do you expect me to do, dude? Like I did my warm up. I played didn't play a shift, so after warm up my sweat just settled on like I'm freezing. I don't know, you I can't never do had anything. I never had that problem. I don't know. You should have. <laughs> yeah. If you played in an organization other than the Marauders or the Lions or the Sea Lions or whatever the hell you I played with. Double shift in my yeah. whole career. I remember actually when I was with the Moose for a bit, I sat for a good amount of my first game in the Metro Center. Yeah, buddy. Welcome like to the big A good leagues. amount. It was me and Warner. Warner was with me too. We just sat there in the middle. You guys actually showed up to the game and brought like a big Warner sign. I'm no, he, sure. he fought that game then. Did he? It was the yeah, Nova Scotia game. Yeah, it was the Nova Scotia game. We, uh, I'll paint the picture because it's a way better story than you made it sound. We I found had, out that he was playing because he was playing. I don't know if you did. You didn't because it was right beside the bench. <laughs> we, sat, we, we sat right behind you. So anyways, a bunch of us, I think it was, if I'm going to try and remember, it was myself, Cameron, Wig, Nosey, um, Bullen, Brendan Wright, and Ramey, I think. I think, yeah. And so we got absolutely bombed because we found out that Warren's was going to play with the Mooseheads because he was with Bridgewater at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. And Warner was a big Moosehead guy around town, you know, big bad Moosehead guy. So finally he was getting his sniff. So we were like, whatever, fuck it. Let's go get shit-faced and we'll go to the game and we'll cheer him on, right? He's got to fight. That's what he does. So we got waited the first period. And then we went downstairs because he didn't play the first period. Then we went downstairs and we brought paint with us. And we all stripped our sh- our unis off down in the like concourse of the Metro Center. Yeah. And we're painting Warns on each other's bodies. So yeah. it was Warns, 9-8. But we had an extra guy. So we, we put an exclamation point on him just so he could be included. Yeah. So it didn't even matter. Even if he stood up on the bench, we were like, ah! we were standing up screaming. But we were bombed, man. There was paint Everywhere. He was probably just screaming at everyone skating on the ice. Yeah, and I remember he, he was. Yeah. And we were like, we were chanting, "We want Warner." But the main point of the story was downstairs was wrecked from paint because <laughs> we were <laughs> we were annihilated, story. right? But no, that was a cool moment. But I didn't know you were in the game. Yeah, I was playing the game. I, I probably it was your hated first you, right? game. It was my first game at the Metro Center. Which is all I really cared about. Well, so I was there for you, man. There you go. I have the, well, not you didn't have the right paint on, though. You didn't have the belly. You had warns. Well, I had warns on my belly. You should so. have said HB. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember it. being in the dressing room before the game, and who were we playing against? It actually was against was Cape against Breton. Cape Breton yeah. Rigus was playing on the other team, and Sab. Rigus? Rigus was on the team. Rigus played in that game. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it was like a, it was kind of like a Halifax Hawks reunion type thing. It, was, Sab it sounds was like it might have been the Timbits Jamboree to me. I remember Sab was there. And we saw him warming up before the game, and he had flip-flops on. He's like, I forgot my shoes back home or something like that. I forget if that was <laughs> if it was him or not. But I remember in the dressing room before, Warner just had that look in his face. And Do you want to hear a good Warren's in the dressing room story? Just give me after this yeah. one. I remember everyone just looking at him, just being like, so who are you fighting with? He goes, I don't know. Is there anyone that will take me, I guess? Like You could just tell. You know when someone's about to fight yeah. and they're not like yeah. human? They're just kind of... <laughs> It seems like that. He's like, I don't know. He, he gets whoever, a look. Whoever's uh, gonna take me, I guess. You know. <laughs> yeah, he gets. Uh, he gets a. Uh, let's just say a twinkle in his eye. He, just, right. he knows that he's ready to fight. So I gotta. 
I got a good Warnsey story here. So Warnsey got traded to nice. Yarmouth his 20-year-old year, which would have been my 19-year-old year, at the deadline. Ninth time you So we were we had a pretty like we had a solid team. We were we were making a run for it. We got Warns. We got our buddy Justin Rasmussen who um, played in the O and then played uh, with Summerside the year before when they hosted the RBC with Warns with Warns as well. So they. There was our experience. There was our grit. There was there was some skill there too. So we were we were gearing up. And the funny thing was, is Warns was actually trying to get me to go to Dieppe where he was playing at the time. So we were trying this. to work a trade for me to go to Dieppe from Yarmouth because I was I don't know things just weren't working. I need a little change. Next thing you know, Warns calls me. He goes, "Dude, I'm coming." I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, Raz and I just got traded to Yarmouth. We're on our way. I was like, oh, my God, here we go. Like, I got my boy coming. Like, this is going to be sweet. So first game, they show up playing against Dieppe, the team they just got traded from. Was Wig on the team? Sorry? Was Wig on the team? No, this was like two years after Sorry, man. So then, um, so they show up first game. We play uh, play their old team. Good game. Everything's working out. We play the next night against Miramichi. Miramichi, solid team. You know Miramichi. They're always tough, gritty, skilled. Just don't want, don't like playing against them. So Warrens goes out, penalty kill guy, getting in the lanes, all this kind of stuff. Blocks a shot in the mouth. We were like... First game? This was the second game with uh, the team after the trade deadline. Blocks a shot in the mouth. This was probably the second period. Oh, fuck. I know the story. Goes in, Goes into the dressing room, and he's sitting at the end of the dressing room. You walk into Yarmouth's dressing room. It's just a long, straight tube. It looks like a Centennial Arena dressing room, but with stalls. And we... Uh, so, Warren's is sitting directly ahead, and our trainer's walking in the dressing room. And he starts wiggling his two front teeth. And there's blood pretty much everywhere and our trainer comes in she goes don't do it don't touch it don't do anything he goes but they're loose and he jiggles them a little bit pulls them out both teeth, <laughs> two of his bottom teeth pulls them out and they're still together like they're like completely right from the root it was it was absolutely insane everyone in the dressing room going nuts sick fuck. like we were just like like the guys that didn't know warns i knew warns i was just like oh yeah warnsy he does these that guys, in the living room these guys are like what is this guy doing right now? Like, this is crazy. This guy just pulled out his teeth. So we go back out, close game, like real close game. <laughs> anyway, we score with like probably four or five seconds left to win. Like, crowd goes nuts, 1,500 in Yarmouth on their feet. So to five seconds left in the game. Anyway, drop the puck, sc- like scrum happens, line brawl. Warrens jumps the bench after pulling his teeth out. <laughs> Grabs the biggest guy on the ice and just starts throwing haymakers. Doesn't care whatsoever. Well, what's he got to lose now? His so teeth are gone. Second game in Yarmouth. Jumps the bench. Suspended for eight. We have ten games left in our season. Uh, Twenty. His 20-year-old year, he missed eight of his last ten games because he jumped the bench and pulled his teeth out prior to that. Thank you for that. Thank you, Warrens, for giving me a memorable junior, junior wow. story. Like, that's, like, some of that stuff you just can't, like, you wouldn't guess. You'd think a guy missing teeth, oh, yeah, he's done now hockey. He's going out no. and grabbing the biggest guy. Like, it's just, it's and that just, just shows, that's like, guy's heart. Yeah, it just shows guy's heart. And those are the guys that you want to go to war for. Those are the guys that you're going to battle for. And as much as, like, Warrens was, like, a... Uh, like a lot to handle back things. You got to think what he was going through. Like you said, you guys both said he had that twinkle in his eye or whatever. Cause he, he had to get in that mindset, but he was the guy that I honestly probably, I wouldn't say respected the most, but I had so much respect for him. Whereas I played on his line, but you want to go to war with that guy. If you look over and that guy's pulling his teeth out and then someone touches one of your teammates and he sacrifices literally his entire rest of his career to protect you with his teeth already gone. Are you not going to want that guy in your team? Do you know what I mean? Like, you look to him and you go, keep him. He, that, that motherfucker is insane. You know what I mean? Just pulled his teeth out, then fought for us. He's still bleeding. Do you want the guy who doesn't want the puck or doesn't get the puck out on the wall in the D zone or the guy that's blocking shots with his face? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably going to go with the guy blocking shots with his exactly, face. Like, it's right? just it's just the way it is. I mean, he came with a lot of, like, crazy stuff off the ice, too, right? He was, like, 16 as a, as a heavyweight. Mm. It's probably not easy on you. You don't. No. I didn't see it back then, right? But. Yeah. Yeah, and it's no excuse for Warren being an idiot. You idiot. Mm. <laughs> That's a great story. It is a great story. Just pulls his fucking teeth out. And goes Before out we shut her down, um, you got some Jimbo. Do you have any cool Jimbo stories? Oh, because sorry. Everybody has. <laughs> Before we get to Jimbo stories, should we shout out Jill's uh, game? Oh yeah. Okay. Do you yeah. want to do that? Or do um, you want me to? So Jill Sonye, if you don't know who she is, you probably shouldn't be listening, anyways. Just here's the info if you want to. Um, she's having a charity game March 16th at the BMO Center in. All proceeds will be going to the Barho family. If you don't know the Barho family, I suggest you look into it. Um, it's say who they are. They're the, they're the family that 
the the seven children passed away in the fire. Yeah, I did, just didn't really go there. Okay. Anyways, it's at the BMO Center. It's on Saturday, March 16th. Um, there's a silent auction, so if you have any items available, she is uh, she is always looking for those. Um, so, yeah, it's essentially a charity game. There's going to be a meet and greet, uh, a, kid, a kid's game, a silent auction, and just an open skate for everybody to go. Proceeds will be taken at the door. It's a great event. She's working really hard behind the scenes while she's um, – while she's playing right now during the season. So if you guys can make it by then, it is March 16th at the BMO Center in Bedford. All right, let's go Jimbo stories. Give me give me your best Jimbo. All right, uh, I'm pretty sure I played on uh, the last team Jimbo ever uh, coached. Or oh, doesn't coach Ray? anymore. Yeah. He owns Liberpool, though. He owns okay. Liverpool Junior Where B. Where Warren's I'm coaching. Pre- <laughs> I'm pretty sure the last team that he coached was Yarmouth when I was there my 20-year-old year. And so... Probably the best Jimbo story I have. We were we were an older team. We probably had one guy under eighteen, so we like Jimbo tends to have an older team, likes to have the the toughness on the team. So we brought in a few guys from Quebec, brought in a few guys from Ontario, and he needed the boys to to get to know each other. So uh, took the bar uh, the boys to the uh, Red Knight, which is the bar in Yarmouth. He's known uh, for doing showed out, uh, went there once or twice in uh, in my day. It's pretty nice. A couple of vodka limes, but uh, the boys. Uh, the boys went in the back room. They have like a little pool hall in the back room. So yeah. Jimbo was like, "All right, we'll have uh, we'll have a little team night." Opened up, uh, opened up the bar, had a few drinks and Soccer a couple things. drinks flowing. And uh, one of the guys in our team, uh, Pooley, shout out Pooley. He uh, French guy, didn't know much English, but uh, he got across to Jimbo that uh, if he beat Jimbo in a game of pool, that he was allowed to drive his Mariners like uh, SUV that uh, that we had for <laughs> the team. What a great deal! So. They uh, they agreed on the deal. They uh, Jimbo and him went toe to toe. Came down to last shot, and uh, Pooley absolutely sunk it. The bar <laughs> we were going nuts. This was like a it was weird. It was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, and we were just having That's fun. And we were going nuts. It was like a, it was like one of the boys won the lottery. That's like we awesome. were, it was like we won the championship. Boys were going nuts. We were we were chanting Jimbo, Jimbo, Jimbo during the whole thing. Like it was it was hilarious. The last but, time you heard that was during the old export days, probably. Oh man, I remember like that guy took more verbal abuse at away arenas than and gave, yeah. but gave but gave it right back. Yeah, oh, yeah like what, let's not be blindfolded here. Buddy. No, no, it's definitely not a one way street. That's <laughs> Sure. I remember he was coaching in Amherst once, and he was on the bench during warm-ups, and I'm just there warming up, not really thinking much, and I just hear him yelling at me, Hey, Belly! Hey, Belanger! We're coming for you! Yeah. Belly's like, shitting himself. I'm just like, I'm just trying to warm up here, man. Yeah. What are you talking about? Stop patrolling the red We're line. coming for you! Yeah, oh yeah. I'm in the corner. I'm not anywhere near the red line. The yeah. fact that I could hear him from the corner, that yeah. says how loud he was yelling. Yeah. No, but he was, honestly, I, I loved having him as a coach, Just honestly, just on the fact that he was one of those guys that... He let you do your thing, if, as long as you were playing well. If you if you weren't playing well, you you heard it. That like plain and simple, he told you straight up. It, whether it was in front of the team or in the office or in front of your family, one on one, like he he was telling you straight up, and that and I can respect that because I had coaches in my career that they would tell you one thing behind like to your face, and then behind the back you'd like you just wouldn't know what you were getting out of yeah. them. And I and that's one thing that I try to take with me in coaching now is say that, like. Keep it honest. Like yeah. it's the it's the best policy, well, how especially are they know with if kids. You don't tell them. And when we're when we're junior age kids, you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty. You're looking to go to that next level. You need to you need to have that honesty because if a coach isn't going to go to bat for you or go to war for you when you're calling around to get a university offer, yeah, then you, then you're screwed because you're only as good as the word that yeah. that it was you the have. opposite for me. Yeah. Correct. All right, boys, let's wrap it up here. We're on an hour. Um, Last couple minutes of yours, if you want to say hi to anyone, family, friends, team, uh, it's your your little minute here. Shout yeah, I just want to uh, shout out the uh, Dartmouth Moosehead Dry, the ball boys. Um, um, baby. Yeah, we're going to be uh, going to nationals here in uh, in oh, the summer, time. going to Chatham, hopefully uh, bring home some hardware. Uh, also, just want to thank my, uh, my family for everything they've done through my hockey career. I mean, I couldn't have done it uh, without them. It's... Mm. Uh, it was a long journey. Talked a lot about uh, a lot Hard about journey. my hockey, and uh, I wouldn't have been able to uh, get there without the the sacrifices that they made for me. So I just wanted to do, uh, say thanks to them. All right, unreal, Billy. Thanks for coming yeah, on. Man, appreciate me, it. Um, everyone listening, make sure to go to all of our social media outlets: like, subscribe, comment, Instagram, Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, and that's it. March sixteenth, BMO Center. All right, we're out.